you've got your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, please take them out. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In light of the fact that we're launching BBS tonight, and in light of the fact that, that that is the ministry that we're called to, but that's only part of the ministry to which we are called, the entire ministry of Ivy Creek Baptist Church is centered here. I want us to specifically this morning consider the question, what do we do, why do we do it, how do we go about it? Those are the three questions that I want us to consider this morning. What do we do, why do we do it, how do we do it? That is the, and, and what I want to do is I want to center our answers to those questions based upon what we read in the Word of God. And this morning, I want us to take our text from 2 Corinthians 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 to help us answer that question. So read those Read those verses along with me. Paul writes this, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we do thank you for your calling upon our lives and the commission that you have given us. And I pray today that you would remind us of that, but I pray that in the process of reminding us that you would bring to us those, the pictures and faces of those in our lives to whom we need to share the gospel. Help us, Lord, to, to be faithful in that endeavor to which you have called us. And then we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit working through the word that you have given to us, that we might exalt your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of everything seen and unseen, the maker of heaven and earth. We might exalt him, and that lives might be changed as a result, that they would be drawn to him, that they would confess their sins and confess him as Lord. I pray that, I, I ask for these, these favors and these blessings upon our church ministry, even tonight, but throughout this week and for every person who is involved, I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them for that which they have in front of them. We might honor you with all that we do and all that we say. In Christ's name, amen. Now, before I unpack this passage here in verses 1 through 6 of 2 Corinthians 4, I, uh, I want to give you the context for what I believe helps us understand what Paul is saying to us here. And, and the context, I believe, even starts with the very first words that are, that are written in Scripture. From Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then it goes on from there and says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, 
that it was good. And he divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Those are the first five verses of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. And I would like to point out to you that with these with these words really begin the, one of the great themes of the Bible that works its way from the very first verses all the way to the end. In fact, those were the first words of the Scripture. If we were to turn all the way to the book of Revelation into the final two chapters of Revelation, we would, we would see how this theme comes to a glorious conclusion. You see, we read that, that light will ultimately triumph over darkness. In Revelation 21, John describes the glory of the new Jerusalem this way. In verses 23 and 24, he says, The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. In Revelation 22, verse 5, we read this, There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So from the very first page of Scripture to the very last page of Scripture, we are reminded there is, that there is a battle that rages between light and dark, between good and evil. Now the truth is, none of us need to be reminded that the, in this world in which we live that there's a battle that rages between light and dark. We live in a very dark place and we know it. We know it by the things that we see going on around us. We see terrorism, we see war, we see oppression, we see sexual abuse, we see greed, we see pornography, we see deceit and lying, we see physical and verbal abuse, we see false religions all around us. There, we have no need of being alerted to the fact that there's darkness in this world. All of those things and more give testimony to the fact that darkness is prevalent in the world around us. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells us that people who are separated from the life and the light of Christ are people who live in a darkened world. Elsewhere, the Bible talks about it this way. In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 13, those who leave the paths of uprightness are those who walk in the ways of darkness. We read in Proverbs 4, verse 19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. And then we read what, what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, when he's speaking of those who have given themselves over to their depravity and, and, and had just embraced these things. He says they do that because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, what all of these passages that I've referenced and read for you remind us is that lives that are separated from Christ are darkened lives. But just as God spoke in Genesis 1 and there was light, I want you to know that he still speaks today and light still shines and light still penetrates the darkness through the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, scriptures teach us that those who are in darkness Jesus offers the only source of hope and the only source of light. He proclaims this about himself, that he is the light of the world. We're all familiar with these passages, but listen to how John describes Jesus in the very first words of Scripture. 
In John chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 4, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus says this about himself in John chapter 8, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John chapter 12, verse 46, he says, I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. So if we look at the world around us through a biblical lens, what we will clearly see is that there is a battle that is going on between light and darkness. And the church, the body of Christ, the body of believers who have been delivered from the darkness, been delivered from that kingdom of of Satan, and we have been delivered into the kingdom of light, it is our responsibility to clearly proclaim that Jesus is the only source of light and life for those who remain in darkness. That is our responsibility. Nevertheless, we also know that even though we proclaim it, and even though it is the only source of light and life for those who are in darkness, those who are ensconced in that darkness do not immediately accept it. And the reason that is the case is because people are hopelessly lost, and they are hopelessly destined to to wallow in their own sin and the pervasiveness of darkness, and they do not naturally run to Jesus. In fact, according to John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, we read that although Jesus as the light has come into this world, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. This is the sad part. Jesus, the light of the world, has come into this world which is a very, very dark place. But the world rejects him. And the darkness remains. Now, I've gone a long way around the horn this morning to set up what I want us to look at briefly in 2 Corinthians 4. Because what I want to do, I want to do is, is I want to examine what our responsibility actually is as believers in light of the fact that the light of Christ has shone into our hearts, in light of the fact that you and I, if we are confessed believers in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, if our testimony is that the light of Christ has shone into the darkness of our hearts and pulled us into the glorious light that he has given us, what is our responsibility? Since since we realize that this age-old battle between light and darkness is, is continuing on, but we know that one day Christ Jesus will be the victor. And since we know what the Bible teaches us, that one day all of those who remain in darkness will be condemned by their sin and will be cast into utter darkness, then what is our responsibility? What must we do in the meantime to fulfill the mission of the church to help people to be born again? I'm going to do things just a little differently today than I normally do. If you can notice this on your outline, I'm going to provide you my sermon in a sentence up front. I want you to get the full answer right up front because I want you to see where I'm going, and then I'm going to break it down to its parts and let you see how I got there. 
So we're going to work it just the opposite way of the way I normally work it. And this morning, if we're asking the question, what are we supposed to do? Why do we go about doing it? And how do we go about doing it? Well, here's the way that I would offer you the answer, and it's this. As those whose darkness has been dispelled by the light of Christ, we must make much of Jesus by telling others of that same good news from a heart of love and a life of service. Now, that's where we're going this morning. But now I want us to see, based upon that, I want us to see how we break this down into its individual parts. If we ask the first question, what are we supposed to do, then we will recognize, notice the first point on your outline this morning, what we do is this, we tell others. We tell others. Now what I want you to do is notice that this passage that I read from you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 begins this way. Paul says, therefore, since we have this ministry... Well, what ministry is he talking about? Well, obviously, the therefore points backward to chapter 3. And if we go back to chapter 3 and we read up and we get ourselves up to speed, what we will immediately notice is that he's talking about this ministry in which he describes it's a ministry of the new covenant. It's a ministry of the spirit. It's a ministry of righteousness. It's a ministry of glory. It's a ministry of hope. That's how it's described all through chapter 3. Warren Wearsby describes the ministry that Paul writes about as a glorious ministry that brings men life and salvation and righteousness. It's a ministry that is able to transform lives. And it's that transformation to which Paul refers back to in, in verse 18, the previous verse before we get to the passage that we're looking at. And notice what he says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And consequently, Paul's point later down in verse 6 of chapter 4 is that since such a transformation has occurred in our own lives, then we are to shine out. Our lives ought to be a beacon of light. We ought to reflect the glory of Christ through everything that we do and everything that we say. Notice what he says there in verse 6, 4. It is God, the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, having beheld his glory full of grace and truth, we are then given a ministry, a divinely given responsibility to reflect the Lord's glory. We are to expend our efforts telling others about the good news of Jesus. And then we're to live our lives in such a way that others can see the effects of that good news and it gives credibility to the message that we proclaim. Now, based upon what Paul says in verse 5 of our text, we recognize that this is good news. It's a message that must be communicated. Notice that Paul says we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. In other words, the good news is a message that must be communicated. It has to be proclaimed. I want you to know lost people do not just fall into being saved. No, they must hear the message of the gospel that clearly identifies them as the, in the sinful states that they are in. And it must clearly identify the punishment that they deserve and that all of us deserve because of our sin. Furthermore, lost people must be introduced to Jesus. 
who came to bear the guilt and the punishment on the cross so that their sin might be forgiven. They must be told that God's grace and His mercy are available to them if they will but humble themselves before the Lord Jesus and place their faith in Him. Confessing Him as Savior and Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the essence of the gospel message. And you and I must tell others this good news of Jesus that He has come to save them. Now, in light of that, notice the parameters that Paul gives to us. Those parameters are listed for us back up in verse 2. We must be aware of how we are to go about this ministry that he's called us to. He says, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. What Paul tells us is that in completing our mission, we are not to resort to manipulation. We don't resort to clever tricks. We're not using underhanded schemes. Furthermore, we're not to change the word of God to make it more attractive. We don't alter it. We don't water it down. Rather, we are to speak the word of God in truth, but also in love. And then we are to live our lives in good testimony. As Paul says, we are commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That is our collective ministry. As it pertains to the church, while it is true that I have been specifically called to expound the word of God from this pulpit to the, to the gathered church, telling others about Jesus is not only my responsibility, nor is it only the responsibility of the deacons or just the responsibility of Sunday school teachers or the youth directors or the children's directors. No, telling others about Jesus is all of our responsibilities. We are all to reflect the glory of Christ through our ways of speaking to others in the context that we have been given through our neighbors and our friends and our family. It is our responsibilities to tell others about the good news that has saved us and that will save them. And then we live our lives in such a way that we give credibility to that message. All of us, all of us are responsible for that part of this ministry. So what we do, the overarching ministry to which this church has been called is to tell others the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ from a heart of love and from a life of service. That's the what. Now we move to the, to the why. Why do we do that? Why is that important? That's a lot that you asked of me, preacher. That's a lot that's asked of us in the scripture. Why is this so important? I'm glad you asked. The second point on your outline is this. Why we do it is because others are blind and perishing. Others are blind and they're perishing. Paul brings us back to that age-old battle between light and darkness with which I began this morning. He tells us the importance of why telling others about Jesus is so crucial. Notice, notice what a person's condition is who does not have Christ in his or her life. They're blinded. Paul says in verses 3 and 4, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Those who are lost 
do not see Jesus for who he truly is. And their veiled eyes are the very reason that they do not receive Christ as their treasure. Not only are they unable to see themselves as they truly are, as, as sinners beyond hope and in desperate need of saving, but they are also unable to see Christ, who is the only hope that they have for being saved. Have you ever been around someone who, uh, who thought they could sing, but they really couldn't? Some of you may have been around somebody like that earlier this morning. I don't know. That can be an awful experience, right? It can be, it be quite, it can, it can hurt. Let's just, put it, let's just put it honest. I haven't watched this show in years, and that's the truth, but I used to watch American Idol. And I used to watch it, and they would have these, these folks come on there who would, who would try out to get on the show and could not sing a lick. I mean, they were terrible. And I remember, I think Simon Cowell was one of the judges when I was watching that, and he asked someone one time, he said, has anyone other than your mom ever told you that you could sing? <laughs> and his point simply was, is that if, if no one else had ever told you that you could sing besides your mama, you really didn't have any business being down here because you can't sing. That, I often wondered, how did those people ever think they were going to get on TV and get on that show? Well, believe it or not, sociologists and, and, and behavior specialists say that this is a thing, and it's called the catch-22 of incompetence. And what they mean is that often the most incompetent people don't realize that they're actually incompetent. In fact, research shows that many incompetent people are often more confident in their skills and their abilities than those who are actually skilled and proficient in their jobs. One researcher wrote this. He says, not only do incompetent people reach erroneous conclusions and make unfortunate choices, but their incompetence robs them of the ability to realize it. In other words, like some folks who try to get on American Idol, they think they can sing, and they can't understand why you don't think that they can sing. Well, in many respects, that's the way that many people are spiritually apart from Christ. Think about it. Their sin not only separates them from, from God, but it also blinds them to their own predicament. Not only are, they, are the lost blinded by Satan so that they're unable to treasure Christ as their Savior, but as Paul tells us in this passage, that blindness also shields them from recognizing that they need to be saved to begin with. But this predicament that they're in is far worse than not simply making it onto a TV show. Paul says in verse 3 that these people who are blinded to the fact that they need Christ are actually perishing. They are in a deadly catch-22 that unless their eyes are opened will ultimately lead them to utter destruction. So the reason that we go about telling others about the good news about Jesus is because apart from Christ, those others are hopelessly and helplessly lost, just like we were. That's the same path that we were on until God in his mercy reached down and pulled us up and saved us. And so why do we go about telling others about the good news of Christ? It's because they're headed to the same perishing destruction that we were headed on. And I hope that you know, you live in the state of Georgia, those of you who do, and those of you who don't, you probably have, you ought to look it up for your state. But there's a law 
that requires you to stop and render aid to those who are injured in a crash on the road? And the reason that that law is on the books is because whether you like it or not, we are to look after the interests of others, particularly those who are in danger. And so that is why, that is why we tell others about Christ. It is because they are in grave danger and they are blind to God's grace and to his mercy and they don't know how desperately they need it. Brothers and sisters, we must never fail to stop and render aid. So we've pondered what we're supposed to do and we've examined the reason for why we do it. And then the final question we need to consider is this, how do we do it? How do we go about it? And I would just simply put it this way, we make much of Jesus. This is how we go about fulfilling the ministry to which God has called us. We make much of Jesus. Look at it again in verse five. Paul says, for we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Our mission, our aim, our goal must always be to make much of Jesus. In commenting on this passage, C.H. Spurgeon said this, Christ Jesus the Lord is to be the greatest theme of our preaching, and when it is so, we naturally take our right position with regard to our ears, as Paul and Timothy did ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. We preach Christ. He is the one that we preach and point people to. We, we hold Jesus up, and we're your servants for his sake. What that means is that our stance should be the same as that of John the Baptist who declared of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Our goal is to make much of Jesus, not ourselves. In the early part of the 18th century, a man by the name, he was Count Nicholas Ludwig Zinzendorf. He was the bishop of the Moravian church. He is quoted to have said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. These words were spoken, by the way, as a means of encouraging missionaries to embrace their calling, to go into the mission field. They were intent, these words were intended to clarify the goal of proclaiming Christ with no thought of obtaining any glory and honor for themselves. Now, to be honest, I want you to know that is always a temptation, isn't it? We do like the honor, and we do like the glory. We like it when people notice us. We like it when people take note of what we, got, what we do, and we like it when our name shows up in lights. We like attention. We like a claim. It is a temptation to pursue that and to, and to exalt ourselves when our mission is to make much of Jesus. I want you to know I love this church. Lord willing, if I make it two more weeks, I will have been the pastor here for 11 years. I love this church. I love being out in the community and hearing people talk about this church and talk about you. They talk about how friendly this church is and how welcoming you are. They talk about when they walk through those doors, it's like coming home. I, I don't know how many times I hear people tell me that. It's like coming home. These people, I don't even know who they are. They just come up to me and they're so kind and nice to me. And I want you to know it does this pastor's heart so much good to hear you as a congregation being discussed and talked about in those ways. It gladdens my heart as your pastor. 
But I want you to know that our message is not to proclaim the greatness of our church. Our message is not we at Ivy Creek have got everything figured out. That's not our message. Our message is to proclaim the all-surpassing greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it. When people come here, I want them to leave having been welcomed and loved on and engaged by all of you. But even more than that, infinitely more than that, I want them to leave having been introduced to Jesus, the light of the world who can penetrate the darkness of their hearts and bring them salvation and hope. That is my number one goal, and it is the, my aim, and it is the aim of my preaching is that you will encounter Jesus Christ, the only light who can penetrate your darkness. And in the process, does that mean that people are going to remember us? Yes, I think that they will remember us, but our goal is that their memory of us will always be tied to the fact that our testimony and our ministry was to set ablaze a holy zeal in their life for the glory of Christ. I love this quote that I read this week. Those who know the Savior intimately proclaim the gospel boldly, love our neighbors and serve the church will be remembered, but may others never be able to remember us without also lifting their thoughts to Christ who is above all. Brothers and sisters, we are Jesus' servants. We are his ambassadors. We are his messengers. And therefore, as one preacher has put it, we are to take people by the hand and introduce them to Jesus. We don't keep them in the outer office and talk about ourselves. Another put it this way, our job is to make Jesus known and then to keep out of the way to make sure we don't get in the light. Brothers and sisters, we have nothing, we have nothing to offer this world that is ensconced in its darkness except for the light of Jesus. And and the Jesus that we proclaim, listen, we don't proclaim Jesus the life coach or Jesus the CEO or Jesus the co-pilot of our lives or Jesus a moral example. No, we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. He is the creator of all things. He was the one who was born as a baby in a cattle stall in Bethlehem. He is the one who lived a perfect, sinless, holy life. He is the one who offered himself as a perfect sacrifice on Calvary's cross. He is the one who ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for each of us now. He is the one who will one day return to judge the living and the dead. It is this Jesus, Christ, the Christ of Scripture, the light of the world that we proclaim. So that is what we do. We tell others about Jesus. That is why we do it. It is because apart from Christ, others are blind and perishing in their sins. And that is how we do it. We make much of Jesus. We declare him as God's only begotten son, crucified, buried, resurrected, and coming again. Brothers and sisters, those of us for whom the light of Christ has dispelled the darkness of our lives, we must make much of Jesus by telling others of that same good news from a heart of love and from a life of service. So this morning, unapologetically, let me say to you that if you have never met Jesus, 
it is my distinct honor and privilege to introduce him to you. There's nothing that I want more than for you to come to know him. To come to know the forgiveness that he offers to you. To experience the power of the new life that comes from him. Nothing else is more important than that. I'd love for you to get to come to know Jesus today and let him be your Lord and your Savior. The Bible tells us plainly that if you will humble yourself before him and if you will acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of his grace and mercy and that you will place your full unreserved faith in him to be your Savior and you will make him the Lord and master of your life, then you will be saved. And I invite you to do that today. Turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus. If you have done that and if you have met Jesus and if you know him and you confess him to be your Lord and Savior and particularly if you are a part of this church family, then I want to encourage you. I want to make an appeal to you today to become the servant of others in love so that your testimony of Christ will be a light that penetrates the darkness. Make it your personal mission to tell others about Jesus so that those who are blind and perishing will come to know Christ, that they will have their eyes opened and they will come to faith in Jesus and receive everlasting life. As the body of Christ, we have been rescued from the domain of darkness. and We've been transferred into the kingdom of his glorious light because Jesus has shown his light into our hearts and therefore we must tell others and make much of Jesus so that they too will come to faith in him. That is what we must do. That is why we must do it. And that is how we must do it. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it is for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Lord God, we thank you for the love that you have shown us and the light that you have shown into our hearts. We have no hope apart from that. We are hopelessly, helplessly lost without you. There's not one good thing about me that would ever allow me to commend myself to you. Every good deed I have ever engaged in in my life has been tainted by sin. But you've saved me because of what Jesus Christ has done. Your Holy Spirit speaks into my heart and has allowed me to see Jesus for who he truly is and allowed me to see me for who I truly am. And because of that, I have been saved by the wondrous power of Christ. And for eternity, my only boast will be that Jesus Christ has saved me. I stand in his righteousness and his alone. And it is my firm conviction based upon scripture that they're every single believer, that is their testimony. And because that is the case, there is nothing about us that makes us better than anyone else. The only boast that we have is that Jesus Christ who saved us will save you. And my prayer this morning is that there's anyone in this room that is not a believer, doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that they are still shrouded in the darkness and the blindness of their own hearts, that your Holy Spirit would bring light to them, speak to them, draw them so that they can see you for who you truly are, allow them to confess their sins to you and their faith and their trust in you. And Lord, then I pray that they, along with all the rest of us, would leave, leave this place with a burning passion and a desire to see others come to know Jesus. All across this room, there are families represented by the folks that are here.
many in those families are lost and our hearts break for them. And I pray that you would give us the, the, the ability to witness to our own family members. Give us the right words to be able to say there. But Lord, more than anything else, I pray that the, for the humility of them, that they would come to know Christ. For our friends and our neighbors and the folks that we work with, God, help us to be winsome. Help us always to continue to point folks to Christ. Help us to make much of you. This is my prayer. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.